This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Greg Garcia, the former Deputy CIO of the Army and now the Chief Technology Officer at Inserso. Greg, this is an exit interview. Great to catch up and uh, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much, Jason. It's great to be with you as always. So these exit interviews are always really a lot of fun, but they're also a little, I'll have to admit it, maybe sad, depressing, because that means someone like yourself has left government service. It means that uh, somebody who we could count on to, to talk to, that would speak at panels, to, to really always provide us some really great news, is now stepping over to the, uh, I won't call it the dark side per se, but we'll call it the, the other side. And, and uh, it's, it's, as I said, a little sad, but, but in, a, in a good way. So give me a sense. You decide to retire after 37 years. Why did you decide to retire now? Hey, Jason, it's, it's really been a great 37 years. It's really kind of been a collection of events. One of the things that I, you know, as a self-learner, a continuous learner, is that, that other side, as you talk about, is I, I really have no experience in that side of the important support to national security objectives. And, and really, I see that as kind of a hole in my swing. And so it's really not that I'm leaving federal service. I'm going to get more experience in the full spectrum of delivery. And I think that's really important. And, and folks like Dr. Iyer, uh, Dana DC, all had that kind of experience. And that's really something that I've, I've been longing for over the last really several years. And one thing I wanted to make sure is that Dr. Iyer's, our new Army CIO, had a great start. So really the timing kind of worked out that I, I was able to support his first 100 days in office. And uh, then uh, also kind of thirdly is that uh, I have some really some thoughts about spending a little bit more time with family as we, you know, these complicated times of COVID, really giving some time to my mom and, and family members. And so those three things kind of culminated in this, this kind of, okay, let's jump. But it's really not jumping far. Still, you know, every day, it's still about so supporting our great nation and uh, just looking forward to doing that from a different chair. And we will get to your new job in a second. Was there an impetus beyond kind of timing? Did, did Inserso, did your new company come and recruit you? Did the job kind of fall in your lap? You know, I mean, sometimes it's, it's a timing thing, right? You had been thinking about retiring or you've been thinking about doing something different. And then this opportunity popped up and, and that's why it happened now versus a month ago, a week ago, six months ago. For me personally is... My father passed in December, and, and my father was an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, he worked full-time for the Federal Service, but he also managed to develop work and have small businesses. He, my mom, and my brother did a food concession in bank buildings, and he would go in super early and go there super late and get the reports, and, and just this entrepreneurial spirit. And so with his passing, I, I kind of just felt compelled to honor him a little bit by, by really joining a smaller company and, and sort of giving back to both in, in public service, into the, you know, how do they help public service receive the goods and services and uh, sort of honor this entrepreneurial spirit of a smaller business. So that's kind of what that all happened in December. So that kind of what drove my final planning is how do, how do we give back? In many ways, it's there's a timing there, maybe not a happy timing, but I think, you know, maybe there's sometimes things happen in our lives that we have to say, okay, you know, maybe it's time to shift a little bit or change gears, as you said, between the COVID and, and when to spend more time 
with, with your mother. I think that all kind of plays into it. Now, this new company, we'll, we'll get to in a sec, but let's just talk a little bit about your career. 37 years is a great career in, in, in anything, but you, you were able to do it all within the DOD. You started, if I remember correctly, as a GS5 trainee. Tell us about how you got your start. Was, were you rec- oh, yeah. right out of college? It really was my dad. He's like, when you graduate, you need to get a job, right? So four days out of college, I started as a, an inventory management specialist, GS5 trainee at Kelly Air Force Base in San Antonio. And that was really based upon the legacy of uh, my father being a great civil servant. My sister had started with the Army in San Antonio. So it, it was kind of like a family tradition. And I'd grown up, you know, in my early years watching, going visit uh, the Air Force Base, seeing the the important work that my dad was doing in, in you know, flight safety or logistics. And uh, really, you know, you just kind of learn what public service is and the great rewards of it. So. GS-5 trainee, worked a lot of years in the Air Force, and then moved over to the Army. And it's kind of been a remarkable career. In total, my father, my sister, and I have over 100 years of public service between the three of us. And I think that's just a kind of an, an honorable thing to do and, and support and, and had a great example in my father and mine. Four days out of college, no vacation, no trip to Europe, no, no, <laughs> no drive around the country with your friends. You just dove right into the, to the deep end and, and got going. That's exactly right. I think we did go out to dinner uh, on that weekend when I got back from college. And I think I actually started on a Thursday, if I remember correctly. So, but honestly, it just, you didn't think about it, right? You just, you wanted to, you know, again, you wanted to kind of jump in and, and apply those those uh, skills and knowledges you learned and just kind of, you know, get to the contributing part. Can you just give me a few other highlights? I know in your uh, email that you sent to uh, folks, your goodbye email, you, you talk about you got to live in different places, you got to do different things. Just maybe give me some career highlights. It was really a, a great opportunity. So I started in San Antonio. Uh, very early on, I actually had my first Pentagon tour. I was really in the supply discipline and went up to the Pentagon into the maintenance area, which I really had no experience in. That was a great two years. Came back to San Antonio, uh, worked in the C5 program office, which was another tremendous experience. Uh, I was the mechanical systems branch chief, which worked, worried about everything on that great plane uh, that wasn't a structural avionics or engines. And that was really, really a difficult job. Had a great mentor and Colonel Pete Hennessy, later General Hennessy. And then I went in from, imagine this, going from the C-5 aircraft program into the cryptologic systems group, which was where uh, they did information warfare, signal intelligence, technical analysis, completely from, you know, an airplane that is of certain vintage to cutting edge technology. And that was really where I think I uh, was able to hone these technical skills is to, to be part of that great crew there. Colonel Mike Reed was the commander, great leader. Colonel Mike Ennis, great leader. Learned a lot there. I think one of the things going from there went into, was you know part of the Electronic Systems Command and, and the commanding general there was able to see the team's great work and, and was looking for someone to lead IT. And I remember him remarking that he, he just looked at me and said, we, you're just so young. 
And my response is, every day I'm getting older. So <laughs> that, enabled, that enabled him to see that uh, I was worthy of some investment of time. So from there, he said, well, go, go get one more job and we'll think about it. So, so I went from Cryptologic Systems Group out to Davis Montham uh, to the Air Regeneration and Maintenance Center, uh, affectionately called the Boneyard, and was the executive director out there. And that was really, uh, you know, kind of a night and day experience from cutting edge technology to really bringing value out of airframes that have been retired uh, and how to do depot maintenance operations firsthand. So that was quite a swing. Uh, from Davis Montham, I was selected for my first SCS job to be the standard systems group executive director in Montgomery, Alabama. So I, so I went from crypto to the desert. Uh, boneyard uh, activities into back into IT. And really, the great folks in Montgomery were focused on Air Force wide systems uh, at the sort of the wholesale level, uh, finance, business, logistics, all those systems. It had over a thousand people that worked for us in the standard systems group. And that was where I worked for a, probably about six, seven years and then was selected to go up to Wright Pat at the headquarters building. I was a deputy A2A5, which really means uh, the Intel ISR area for the two side. And then the five side is really the planning part and really worked on developmental planning, requirements planning, how to have foresight into what we want to build with the reduction in risk. Uh, while I was there, uh, I actually saw an announcement and uh, applied and went to Iraq as a civilian expeditionary workforce member for a little over 11 months. That was a great, great learning experience. Came back from there, went to the Pentagon in the, in the headquarters for the Air Force, and, and then was observed by Mike Krieger uh, as someone that had potential to, to lead the information technology agency there in the Pentagon was selected for that job, uh, worked for Mr. O'Keefe. And then uh, from that, that's when uh, the DOD established the JSP and we transitioned to ITA to the JSP. And then that afforded me a great opportunity to go over to the Corps of Engineers and be their CIO for a couple of years, which led to my selection as the deputy CIO in the headquarters of the Army. You kind of fell into the CIO role. The first job, as you said, uh, the Cryptological Systems Group, did you have an interest in IT? Was your undergraduate or graduate degree in IT at all? You know, I'm not a systems engineer. I'm not a, you know, I, I'm really actually a communications art major with a, a policy master's and a MBA. I, I think I just, I understand, I understand technology and I understand the application of technology. And I think that was the biggest benefit is not, not, not only understanding the technical details of it, but how and where to apply it for mission outcomes. And I think that was my greatest strength is not my detailed technical knowledge, but my understanding, recognition, and ability to apply those capabilities to real mission problems and, and, and really help lead the group there to get that. Greg, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation and find out what you're doing next. My guest is Greg Garcia, the former Deputy CIO of the Army, and now the Chief Technology Officer at Inserso. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. 
My guest today is Greg Garcia, the former deputy CIO at the Army and now the chief technology officer at Inserso. Greg, last segment, we learned a lot about your career, the different path you followed to get there. And I, I want to just find out what comes next for you. you. You are the chief technology officer at Inserso. Talk, talk about that role and, and how did you land up in, in, in a small business? Inserso is, is an awesome company. Uh, I, I've known the, the owner of it for, for some time. We, we actually did a couple of Tough Mudders together and I was always impressed by his uh, care for the mission and care for his, his employees. They're a full service IT and, and services support company. Uh, I, I've taken the role as the chief technology officer really to bring my experience knowledge to their delivery of uh, services. You know, Inserso has over 90% of their work with customers in the DoD and, and DHS and really are focused on, on bringing value. And I think that's really where my, my background can help. And I'm really excited about, you know, they're, they're a smaller company. They're, they're at some key pivotal points to, to really perhaps have exponential growth and, and just a great set of people dedicated to the mission, dedicated to their families. And just, I was moved to help them. And uh, so that's really my focus here is, is in, the, in the weeks and months ahead here is how to, how to get them to, to that next level. So it's, it's pretty exciting to be part of that process. What do you think, just generally speaking, is your biggest learning curve? Is it? I think the, the greatest curve is uh, for many of us in government, you, you, you write a statement of objectives, you write a performance work statement, you write a statement of work, and then you, you kind of put it over the transom. And then I, I really have never seen that part of the process of, of how does the company see, assess, and understand the government's requirements. What, what are their deliberations processes? How do they formulate those solutions? And how do they respond back that really meets the needs? Because in my federal experience, you've seen a lot of proposals come back that's like that really kind of maybe off the mark or over the mark. And so I really want to understand that business process of that a decomposition of the government's requirement and how to help formulate the most effective and efficient answer to that. And I think that's kind of the most exciting part is how to see that, that build up of a response to a challenge or a need that the government's trying to, to seek to fix. And, and I think I have lots of experience in, in that side of it, but not that experience on the preparing the answer side of it. So a lot of the questions uh, and then, you know, get some experience here on the answering part. Greg, 37 years in government is a long time. And I mean that in the most sincere way. So one thing comes <laughs> I know, back I know to I'm me. old, Jason. <laughs> one thing, you're not that old. Uh, the good news thing, is my, my, my uh, age groups are getting less <laughs> thick in my triathlon. <laughs> there are benefits to age. I, I understand that now more than ever. What made you stay this long? And I mean that in the most sincere way. I don't want to be like, why did you stay so long? But I understand there's the the dedication to the mission. I understand the family longevity, the hundred years between your dad and your sister and yourself is is an awesome thing. But I'm sure that sometime during your career, somebody called you up and said, hey, have you ever thought about jumping to the private sector? Or you said, for whatever reason, I'm tired of this. I'm going to go look for a new job. Did that ever come up or, or... in some ways, yeah, I think 37 for, years just I moved think, quickly. Yeah, I think for all of us, right, th- those opportunities are always there, right? So, you know, there's many of my peers that started as GS5 trainees, you know, that, that got out 
at relatively, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. But my dad taught me very early, do your best, keep your head down, and do the work uh, of the nation. And and so, honestly, I've been so focused on the doing the work to address the challenges that those dang 37 years just kind of really slipped by. Uh, and then, you know, the Bill Marians of the world uh, that, that retired uh, last year and, and uh, you know, uh, these other uh, pillars of the IG community, they really kind of great mentoring there at some point about, you know, remember that, you know, you, you've done your service. If it's, you know, 24 years, 28 years, 32 years, 37 years or 42 years, at some point, you know, all of us have a transition. And, and really, it's uh, my desire to understand the other side of the business in, in time and space that allows me to be productive in that and possibly uh, bring that back to some level of uh, federal service that I think I, I kind of sense now is the time, right? So as I approach the, the age that I am and and what I foresee is my my uh, time to continue to work. I really I think this is an important additional track that I've got to learn in because I, I just don't think I'm done in contributing. I just think I want to be a better contributor. And, and it just seemed that with all the experience being at the headquarters, you know, the, one of the world's largest organizations of the U.S. Army, you know, that's kind of their, the weight of their own in, in all things uh, IT. You know, 1.4 million people. You know, one of the things you learn is the the ability to see technology, test technology. But the the biggest challenge for the army is to feel that it's such a large organization and dispersed and you know in in every direction, left, right. It's really a complex set and and fielding out uh, fielding plans in some kind of you know capability set or flash fielding or continuous fielding is really something I'd like to understand and and work on is to, to help this uh, capability get from promise to, to practice. All right. I mean, again, I go back to uh, it's, it's a great service you've brought. So it's, it's great to hear that you will continue along this path. I want to maybe step, have a half a step away from your career and, and, and maybe look back from a different perspective of your last 37 years. When you came into the government and 37 years ago, I'm not really good at math, but I'll guess it's early to mid 80s. <laughs> That's and, correct. And uh, if I remember the early to mid 80s, I will tell you, Greg, I was um, wearing my uh, parachute pants and wearing my Michael Jackson jacket, right? The one glove. You remember that? I was never that cool, but <laughs> neither was I. And I had my Commodore 64 computer and I could play Dr. J versus Larry Bird. It was the best game ever. So let's talk about how technology has changed during your career. Let's, let me start with some easy questions. If you can remember, what was the first computer you had at work? What brand was it? Yeah, I, I remember that day because it was like, oh, this is awesome. As an inventory management specialist, you, you actually were assigned two desks because you have so many pieces of paper that there's no way to file them in one desk. You literally would have pages and pages and pages of of documents that and every single piece of that airplane that you had a document and and I remember getting that Z100 Zenith 100 delivered you know and basically you almost had to get a new desk cuz it was so big I was so excited and uh I I actually won the first Z100 programming contest at Kelly Air Force Base 
uh, we had this computational process we used to do on paper and and so they said oh, we got these computers and you know let's do some apps and they really weren't apps it was just kind of writing execution code and, and I wrote one to compute the insurance and numeric stock objective requirements for airplane parts and it was pretty exciting because it used to take you know I don't know, 40 minutes, 30 minutes to do all these calculations on paper and transfer the forms. And so basically I just, you know, wrote some Excel uh, execution steps to do all that fairly easily. And it was pretty cool. It was clunky, but it worked. And and that's where I think I really kind of had an affinity for what the power of computing could do from, from way back in those early days of the 80s to you know, I think it was so awesome to have that experience of being swamped in paper to realize, wow, this is not the way to do this, right? So doing things by hand, by calculator and writing numbers on a, on a form is really not the most efficient way and productive way to get things done. And so that, that kind of just lit a fire in me and I've always kind of pursued technology from there. All right. So the Z100, it was a five and a quarter disc. It was... Five, two floppies. Yes. And I... I think I finally, you know, after my like sixth move, I, I think I had some of those five and a half, five and a quarter floppies. And I just like, oh, I got to get rid of these. They, 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 you know, they're probably hazardous by now. I don't know. And a green screen, I imagine. Oh, monochrome. Yes. That monochrome. whole green thing with, uh, you know, oh my gosh, it was, uh, I guess, it, I, I don't even, maybe it was even orange. I, I don't remember. I remember it was not very exciting. You know, you might get shades. A shade of a color that that was it and the big thick keyboard you know it was like a typewriter the old you know it was like the old electric typewriter with the you know some floppy drives and a little monitor that you could barely see luckily i was young and had good eyes back then but it was pretty cool though it was it was a leap all right i'm going to ask you the, the next uh jump in technology was the cell phone uh do you remember the first cell phone you got from the dod and what brand was it yeah, so a lot of people never got cell phones, but I think my first uh, official cell phone that was given to me, I, I believe it was a BlackBerry 5810. It would have the, the little keyboard and this monochrome screen. I, I think it was like, you know, 160 by 160, not a lot of high fidelity there. And, and I think if I recall right, you had to put a headset in because it didn't have a speaker. So if you didn't have your dang headset, you really couldn't talk to anybody. But it was something that was pretty cool if you thought about it. I, I do have to say that at one point in my career and, and various uh, strategic meetings, I did hold the first uh, prototype of the iPhone in my hand at one point before uh, it actually was made public. And that was like, wow, right? So completely different shift in, in where that was going. I thought you were going to tell me you held the first prototype of the SMEPED. Do you remember that? Yeah. And I remember from crypto, right? It was kind of funny. In, in the days of the crypto, we, we used to use those 8088 chips and a lot of those devices. And so, uh, you know, that was high tech for, 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 for the crypto world. And it was, you know, it was kind of amazing that that's how it ran. Greg, thanks for that trip down memory lane. That's awesome. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll jump into some of the more current technology that you've been working on. My guest is Greg Garcia, the former deputy CIO of the Army and now chief technology officer at Inserso. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Greg Garcia, the former Deputy CIO of the Army and now Chief Technology Officer at Inserso. Greg, we've been talking a lot about your career. We talked about the old technology, the Z100. I love that, uh, the, the, remem- the memories of about that, the BlackBerry 5810. I want to go one step further and talk about your career a little bit. When you look back and some of the projects and programs you worked on, give me a couple of highlights. What are one or two or three things that when you look back over the last 37 years with the Army, you go, wow, I can't believe I was part of that. Or, wow, I'm really proud that, that I helped move the Army, the Air Force, whomever in, in, in a specific direction. One of my first early cool things was fielding the common access card Air Force-wide. I remember that was a huge challenge. You know, what, what do we need this token for? And I remember uh, we actually rented tractor trailers and drove them around the country to increase the capacity of the processing machines to uh, get through the volume. That was really kind of a great logistics challenge. I remember in the Air Force establishing the crypto modernization program from scratch that was had this great lieutenant colonel uh, with me, and we went around and, and really recognized the uh, the challenge posed there by that that, and and really from zero started a really a multi uh, billion dollar effort that that is bringing fruit today. So that was a big a big thing for us. I, I think leading the information technology agency, you know that I think that's the toughest IT job there is. Uh, the forty two thousand people in the NCR in the DoD. That, that's a real challenge to, in delivering IT, and especially um, at all levels. I, I think the Corps of Engineers CIO, um, the Corps of Engineers is, is like, you know, by far one of my favorite organizations. They do tremendous, tremendous good, both in civil works and mill programs and disaster response. It was, it was really a great opportunity to, you know, travel to Puerto Rico after the devastating hurricane to see how are we building, you know, travel into Poland to see the great work they're doing for uh, NATO, travel to, you know, Korea and Japan and see those partnerships being built up there, you know, travel to, you know, almost every state, uh, you know, up in Cape Cod, the waterways they manage, uh, the the flood planning that they do, and, and that's all technology and capability that that I think we kind of set on the right digital transformation path. General Seminite was was awesome about digital revolution. Right, we're going to revolutionize things, and, I, and it was great to be part of that that great revolution to bring that capability to this nation. And then really serving at, at the highest levels in in the Pentagon, working with Army senior leaders, who are a great group of of individuals. Uh, setting the vision for the future, setting this recognition that technology really isn't the back office thing anymore. It, it is the essential nugget kernel for uh, all things moving forward. There will be no capability that is fielded uh, today or tomorrow that does not have some aspect of critical technology in it. The world is going to be more software-based than than it has ever been. And the ability to CSS uh, with data uh, is going to be critical. And I think we've, we started that some great work there in the enterprise cloud management office focus, the elevation of the chief data officer to a tier three to really drive uh, the power of uh, influence uh, across the Army. I think those are great, great pivot points. Uh, so whatever azimuth the Army was on, I think we were able in the last 
two years to to mark that change of technology going from an afterthought to a forethought across the full spectrum of all mission areas. I, I think that's the greatest thing that I was part of, and, and that is really uh, attributable to the teamwork uh, that's going on in the Army right now. Are you surprised about the role that the card continues to play today? Here we are 20, 25 years later. It, it is amazing. I, I remember we were halfway through implementation and someone said, why are we doing this? And we actually came to a full stop and re-examined our assumptions about that. And I think, I think what we foresaw as the capability and possibilities of the common access card and its use today is really a testament to, to some forethought and some grit to get that done. Clearly, multi-factor authentication, continuous authentication is important. You know, the zero trust architecture, trust no device, no no person, no process, all critical. And I think that that all stems from uh, being uh, a linkage off the great accomplishment of what the Common Access Card did. You know, to know something and to have something uh has proven to be a good security technique you know it's not the, necessarily the best but it just became a great platform you know the cac is almost like a, a smartphone of today uh, its original purpose has sort of ebb and flowed the visual identification the small processing for the certificates to be on there you know near field technology proximity technology uh, it's all been this, you know, a, a huge part of this recognition of what capabilities IT can bring. And it's kind of, that was the hardest part is when uh, I had a turn in my CAC, um, you know, when I left the building. It, it's, you know, that's kind of, you have this great affinity for this card because it represents so much possibility of technology. But I do get a retirement CAC at some point. Remember several years ago, former DOD CIO Terry Halverson talked about getting rid of the, the common access card. Those stories just went off the roof. And, and I don't think anyone thought it was 100% going away, but he, was, he wasn't far off in terms of the evolution that needs to happen. And, and your, your smartphone analogy is a good one. I think one of the greatest challenges moving forward is the complexity of cybersecurity against you know uh, individuals processes and capabilities cybersecurity remains one of the the greatest threats to the ability to process information and that and, you know solar winds is an example of you know it's in the supply chain it's in the in the process it's in the configuration of cloud it's in you know the building of weapon systems it's in your software strategy it's in your hardware strategy it's in your use strategy that is a fundamental blank that has to be thought of uh, in advance of everything we do in the future. Uh, the, the, the ability to execute what is to be the right process really hinges on this robust attention to and detail of uh, cyber and cybersecurity. And I think that's one of the great things that you know, the CIO G6 has been able to do and the CIO will take forward is this cybersecurity focus for for infrastructure, for platforms, you know, closed restricting that. You know, we did a lot of work in the Corps of Engineers for control systems, operational technology, security, 
you know, did a lot of network security, did a lot of application security, but it really is a fundamental precept that has to be considered moving forward. That's a great segue for our next discussion, which is let's focus on the Army and your work there. Uh, you've been the deputy CIO. You've been the acting CIO. You've been the chief data officer, the first one. So how over your time at the Army, let's say the last three, four, five years maybe, how has the technology in the Army changed? How did you leave it? And, and I know it's never just you on your own, but how, how did you leave the service kind of in better shape than when you found it? Yeah, just a technical correction. Tom Sasela was the chief data officer before I was. It was just really I was the first tier three. Tom did some great uh, some work there in setting the stage. We don't want to undercut Tom. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a good guy. Sorry, Tom. But uh, we'll say you were the first SES CDO. Is that the right one? Well, it would be the first tier three, right? So right. Uh, General Crawford, it was kind of funny. He's, he's just like, hey, you're it, right? So I, I just need you to apply your, your power and influence to, to really influence, persuade at the senior levels. And I think that was kind of the right thing. Um, you know, Tom did a great job of of organizing uh, at the domain level, at the mission level. But but again, you've got to drive, you know, for all CIOs, for all technology leaders, you have to drive to outcomes. You have to take ideas, precepts, uh, concepts, and, and the mission challenges you have and deliver. And, and I think what we we found was the great partnership between uh, the four missionaries in the army of Chris Lohman in the uh, warfighter missionary, uh, Robin Swan business, Leo Garcia in the uh, Intel area and general Pugh in the information enterprise. Kind of the five of us sat down and said, we've got to get outcomes. And over the year of uh, really 20, I think from April to really where we are now, we have made remarkable progress about the importance of how data can influence every decision. You know, we did a really the coupled the cloud and the data effort uh, with mission threads and use cases. And, and one example would be in long range precision fires of, of how do you, you know, CSS and action a target you know, what the normal process might be is, you know, X number of maybe even hours and days, right? And how do you make that set of hours and days? How do you make that seconds and minutes? And I think we're beginning to uh, have the capability to do that. And I think that's really the game changer is how can you make decisions in time and space that are accurate decisions based upon real data and real uh, understanding the environment. So, you know, formation of the Enterprise Cloud Management Office was a fundamental good thing we did in my tenure, uh, focusing on uh, how to, to provide common cloud services, how to do common data services, how to provide a dev secure ops on play for people to really focus on the mission element of the software versus the full spectrum of building a capability. Focus on data, focus on data visualization, on data analytics. And we have a commander's dashboard that's been built out. We have the, you know, the ability to see uh, really all our spin now uh, from our general ledgers, uh, working capital ledgers, to make better decisions, make better position of money. And that's really driving, I think, fundamental change in our Army 
about how to uh, maximize the resources that we have. The focus on modernization and readiness uh, and reform girded with our great focus on people. And that all, you know, that takes insight to how to, to optimize that, you know, four dimensions of capability. And I think that's what data and technology can bring really uh, greater insight and decision-making capability at, at all levels. Greg, let's take a quick break. I want to continue our conversation down that path regarding data and technology and the impact it's having on the Army. But we're going to take a break. My guest is Greg Garcia, the former Deputy CIO of the Army and now Chief Technology Officer at Inserso. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is former Deputy CIO of the Army, Greg Garcia. He's now the Chief Technology Officer at Inserso. Greg, this is an exit interview of sorts. You, you retired just recently after 37 years in, in federal service. So again, congratulations for that. We were talking about your time in the Army, meaning the work you've done as the Deputy CIO, the CDO, the Acting CIO. And one of the things you mentioned was the launch of a commander's dashboard as a way to kind of bring data to a way to, to really drive better decision making in the mission areas. Walk me through that a little bit, the impact it's having, how it came about. One of the things that led to this and really was a, you know, the, the hey Google uh, mindset, you know, hey Google, how many soldiers do I have in the army? Hey Google, how many, you know, this ability to ask a question uh, of technology and get a, a quick answer really led to us to, to, to recognize that uh, we didn't have that capability. So our great, great friends in, in POEIS worked uh, with Army senior leaders uh, on some, some prototyping, uh, uh, an OTA worked at how to get to, you know, we have plenty and plenty, plenty, plenty uh, of data in the Army. Uh, turning that into actual information is really the key. So, you know, we worked on the uh, Army leadership dashboard. Uh, we have... Um, in the uh, cyber network world, Gabriel Nimbus, which is also another big data platform. But the ability to coral, uh, you know, input, correlate, and, and see and assess directed action in time is really the, the goal of these. You know, the DoD has a Vanta. Uh, we're working, uh, the Army Leadership Dashboard evolved to Vantage. And, and it really gives commanders, uh, leaders, team leaders, uh, employees, the ability to query and see. Ron Pontius and I were co-leads of IT category management efforts in the Army. And one of these great things of the power of data is we recognize by empirical evidence that uh, buying computers in September did not offer the best value to the Army. By analyzing the market and spend, uh, we determined that you know standard configurations and buying those things in the January through June timeline actually gave us the greatest buying power. And we were able to shift and direct the army to you know get away from the traditional buy it in September with end of year funds to buying it when it gives the best buying power for the army. Commander's dashboard gave the ability for commanders to see uh, obligations that uh, we're not going to award and move that money 
in the right phasing to other requirements to get the maximum utility of the dollars provided. And, and in this effort, there's been hundreds of millions of dollars that, that has been able to be seen, assessed, and put to better use, giving really the taxpayer better value on execution. And so I think data, you know, we always say data is the ammunition of the future. Having the data that's curated and, per, and present for analysis is the key to effective execution of missions in the future, be it business missions, be it operational missions, but that is the key thing to drive on uh, moving forward. That's a great example. Uh, just by looking at the data, you're able to see if we buy from January to June, we'll save 10%, 20%, whatever the number is. What was the reaction when, when that popped up? When, when whoever brought this to whomever's attention? <laughs> heresy, <said>. heresy. <laughs> yeah. That's the power of curated, accurate data, right? So the other big thing that I'm really proud of is we issued something called the data service requirements for all programs. It listed 12 ways that they have to prepare their programs for data to be visible, accessible, understandable, trusted, interoperable, and secure. Mandates that say, because what happens is people make decisions about how they uh, construct the ability to share data at the time with what they know. And as we all realize, that shifts and change the very next day. And this is the, the you know the quandary of the F-22 and the F-35, right? So how in the world can the how do you share data with something that doesn't exist uh, at the point of manufacture? Well, that's open APIs. That's uh, publishing your data catalog. That's you know all these things that are requisite, fundamental things to do that might cost you dollars now will save you tens and hundreds and thousands of dollars later. So I think this is really the the power of analytics. You know, what we found was, is a lot of this data was not accurate, right? But exposing it and asking if it's decision quality allows people to figure out what data is most important for that decision. And then to, to go through the processes to certify, curate, and publish that data for decisions. You know, you, you have data and it's good to expose it to find out if it's, if it's relevant, valid, valid and, and timely. And then once you get that commerce level out, you can make decisions that, that really are impactful. All right. Great advice. And, and Greg, this has been a great conversation. I really do appreciate your time. So let me thank my guest, Greg Garcia, the former deputy CIO of the Army and now the chief technology officer at Inserso. Greg, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you, obviously, for your service to the country. Absolutely, Jason. I hope to talk to you sometime in the future. Great uh, working with you. Love to have you back on the show. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.